Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are discussing Perek Lamed, chapter 30 of Sefer Shmuel. We will finish Shmuel Aleph tomorrow, which is remarkable. David has been sent home from the big battle that is brewing between the Plishtim and B'nai Yisrael, and he arrives back to his base camp together with his fighting force of 600 men back to Tziklag to find that it has been completely sacked and raised by a force, uh, a, a marauding band of Amalekites who have taken the women and children captive, including David's own wives, Achinoam and Avigail. And naturally, the men are devastated to find this, this state of affairs. Now, we have to pause here to consider why exactly did this happen? Obviously, on a practical level, on a technical, mundane level, it happened because David left Tziklag with the 600 soldiers, and they left Tziklag completely unguarded. But with our Tanakh glasses on, we have to ask, why is David being dealt this terrible punishment? Why is he being punished? What is the spiritual rationale, the cause for this attack? And there are really two different ways to answer the question. They're not mutually exclusive, but... Because we have a a punishment, we have reason to now look back at the previous prakim and to be more critical of David's behavior. So there are two things that we might find as the source for this punishment. You could say that David has been too brutal over the past few prakim. Remember that in Siklag he would go and attack uh, people of uh, Amaleki people and other uh, non-Israelite people, foes of Israel, and he would kill them man, woman, and child. He did that to preserve this fiction that he was really attacking B'nai Yisrael, to tell Achish that he was really uh, stabbing B'nai Yisrael in the back, and he didn't want any witnesses to survive to tell Achish that, in fact, David was serving the purposes of B'nai Yisrael, was fighting the foes of B'nai Yisrael, and that's why he killed everyone, man, woman, and child. But perhaps he's now getting punished because that was, that was too much. That was too brutal. That was more than is permitted in a war against a, uh, a foe of B'nai Israel. So maybe this is the punishment for that. Alternatively, you could say that the very fiction that he was telling to Achish is the cause for his punishment. You could say the fact that David assumed the, the guise of a traitor to B'nai Israel was a kind of desecration of Hashem's name. It was a chil Hashem that even though it, it served an important function, was nonetheless something that Hashem did not look favorably upon. And as such, David is dealt this very harsh um, punishment. However we figure that out, the, the, the parak continues, we're told that the men are extremely, not only upset, but they're angry at David. And, and they're actually on the brink of, of stoning David because they're upset that he has exposed them to this danger, that he has led them to the front lines with the plishtim instead of at least maintaining some presence at home to protect their wives and children and their belongings. And it seems like David's going to lose control of these men. That's gonna, things are going to fly off the handles. Remember, these are also, these are outcasts. These are, these are, um, these are criminals. These are, this is the dregs of society. And so when they get upset, it, it, you could understand that they don't have quite the military discipline of, of the generals and, and commanders that generally uh, surround a leader. Nonetheless, David, the remarkable leader that he is, seizes control. And now, there would be nothing easier for David to do than to immediately call his men onto their horses or to, to, to ready themselves and to charge forth after 
this, uh, this horde of uh, Amaleki people. That would have been the easiest thing to do and react just out of passion and anger and to kind of seize the momentum of the moment and the anger and to deflect it from himself, right? That would have been the natural thing for someone to do in this moment. But David does not do that. He calls Eviatar, the Kohen, to bring forth the ephod, and David asks Hashem if he should run after and will be successful in pursuing the perpetrators of this attack. And Hashem tells him that he should. And that's a remarkable moment of leadership for David. David, who himself is dealing with the loss of his wives. He doesn't know if they're alive or not. And he's himself uh, you know, on the brink of losing control of these men. He has the presence of mind, the faith, the discipline. I think that word is so key, the discipline to ask God whether to pursue the enemy or not. Contrast this to Shaul. Remember when Yonatan single-handedly engaged the Plishtim in battle, Shaul calls for the Kohanim to then consult God and it seems like Shaul is going to do the right thing in this moment, but then he loses patience. He tells him, never mind, and he just jumps right into battle without consulting Hashem. Here, David shows the steadfast ability to do what Shaul could not. In a moment that I think is probably even more challenging than that which Shaul was facing some prakim ago. David then pursues the Amaleki uh, raiders, and he finds, th- he finds them thanks to this Egyptian individual, this slave who, who belonged to, the, to one of these uh, Amaleki people, but was abandoned and left to die because he took ill. And that, of course, as a kind of side note, confirms our perspective of Amalek as having this very immoral culture, leaving this slave simply to die. Uh, the, David's men re- give him food, sustenance, they bring him back, and then he enables them to find and, uh, and attack the, Amalek, uh, the group of Amaleki raiders. David and his men completely rout them. They find all of their wives and their children still alive, and they take tremendous amount of spoils from, from this uh, band of Amalekites, uh, and, uh, and then they, they bring that back to, uh, to, their, to their camp. And the spoils that they find are not just the spoils from Tziklag, from their own town, but spoils from many cities that had been raided and despoiled by this group of uh, Amaleki raiders. Now, there's one important detail that I kind of jumped over, and that is that when David runs after, pursues the, uh, the Amalekis in this moment, not all of his 600 soldiers follow him. 200 stay back, too worn out from grieving, not able to pursue Amalek. And now when the 400 troops return home victorious with a tremendous amount of spoils, uh, they return, of course, the wives and children to their appropriate husbands and parents, but they're not willing to share the spoils of this battle with the 200 men who did not go. And they have some validity to their position. It is the 400 men who risk their lives. They put, push themselves to the brink of exhaustion to go and pursue Amalek. They should get the spoils. But David intervenes, and he says that Hashem is the one who delivered the enemy into our hands, and so no one has a greater claim to these spoils than anyone else, and we should split the spoils equally. In fact, David takes some of the spoils and sends it back to the elders of Yehuda, I presume from the places that had been plundered. On the simplest level, this demonstrates David's faith in Hashem, a sense of righteousness, which is Great, but it also touches on a, a very profound idea, one that I think sits at the heart of Sefer Shoftim in particular, and has expressed itself a number of times in Shmuel as well. And that is that when Bnei Israel 
the people, not the soldiers, when the Bnei Yisrael are righteous and are doing the right thing, their soldiers are victorious in battle. And when Bnei Yisrael are sinning, so it doesn't matter how prepared the soldiers are, they're going to fail in battle. There's a kind of synergy there, a fundamental connectedness between Bnei Yisrael, those who stay in the camp, and those who go out to fight. And by David saying that we should equally split up the spoils between those who went to fight and those who stayed in the camp, he's expressing in a very deep way a recognition of this reality, that Hashem delivers foes into the hands of Bnei Yisrael and does so when all of the people, people in the camp and the soldiers together, are doing that which is right and good in the eyes of Hashem. The parak then concludes with a list of places from which the spoils had come. We have a list of these places which is presented to us in, uh, in the form of a shira. The way it is organized in the text, it's, a, it's like a song. It's like a, a, a poetic um, a song of praise to Hashem, listing all of the places that uh, their, their spoils had been taken by Amalek and now recouped, recovered by David. And this list of, of, of place names of cities is reminiscent of what we heard in, in Sefer Yehoshua, when we were told all of the places that Yehoshua and, and that generation had conquered, that was also presented to us in a similar form, a similar shira. Here, David has not conquered all these cities, but by uh, conquering and attacking Amalek in this in this one instance, he's recovered the wealth of all of these places. And the text is clearly applauding David and praising Hashem for this great turn of events. This joyous celebration, however, is clearly meant to contrast which, with that which comes next in the next parak. It's, it's meant to contrast the joyous victory, the salvation of David and his family, as opposed to the terrible fate that Shaul and his family are going to experience next. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.